new sherry's professional foodie sherry's we as realtors have a fiduciary responsibility to our customer what does that mean well i've had the opportunity to meet a professional fiduciary actually through another friend of mine who also is a professional fiduciary uh rich Persumian. and rich is a local los angeles licensed professional fiduciary and gives us a chance to understand what that means so we can work with them more effectively we had a chance rich thank you so much for joining us today thank you for having me bill it's good to be here how did you end up as a professional fiduciary i mean when you're a kid you grow up playing with uh gi joes and barbie dolls and you know someday i'm gonna grow up and be a california licensed fiduciary or how did that happen no that was not how it happened i was desiring to be a cowboy when i was a child and then a fireman phase but what happened was um the way it happens with most people is i I fell into this career because I was fortunately or unfortunately forced to do it taking care of family members. Mm. Had family members who had a another individual come <clears throat> change estate planning documents when they were really shouldn't have been. And in doing that, I had to contact an attorney. The attorney explained to me, well, you're going to become a, a conservator. And in doing that, I found out I have the skills, the personality and the ability to to do this professionally. And I was told, you know, this is a real a real job. People do this professionally. And I just fell into it. My my. My real job ended up going away because of technology. I worked in entertainment, payroll and finance for the first half of my career, and it just worked out that that job faded away as this job came in for me. And it's, it's been well for me. I've been a good match for this career. Now, many people who are professional fiduciaries are also, or are were previously attorneys. Are you an attorney as well? Are you strictly licensed as a fiduciary? I am not an attorney, but I hire attorneys. Um, as a fiduciary, you hire attorneys on behalf of your client. Correct. Yeah, so that's a common thing that that we as real estate agents find is we'll find a a case where there's an attorney who's acting as the fiduciary as well as maybe being the attorney or in addition to there being an attorney. And in this case, um, Rich does this specifically. Now, when you, it seems to me there's two common types of cases of fiduciary in probate and trust administration. One is they need somebody. Another one is they don't need anybody, but they want somebody else to do it for them, right? Are those like the two major categories? You need somebody because you can't do it on your own. Um, and the other one is you could do it on your own, but um, not knowing what to do and the risk of doing it wrong uh, or getting in conflict with somebody requires you to find a, somebody else to do it for you as a professional. Does that sound about right? There's several different ways that a fiduciary um, has a client. One is that they are appointed through estate planning documents, meaning an attorney when writing the individual's estate planning document says, when this person is no longer able to take care of themselves due to a tragic event, whether it be um, an injury, a stroke, incompetence, or a death, then this person will take over. Or, or if the family makes what seems like the right decision, but is often proves to be a very poor decision of putting one of their children in charge of their trust when they die, for some reason, every family seems to have a battle with the children because it's it's just not a good idea. Um, in my experience, it causes family battles, it tears families apart, and it's just not a good thing to do. So when the family fight starts, one of the things that happens is they end up going to court 
and the settlement agreement has something to do with neither one of you are in charge and we're getting a neutral third person in charge and that's when a fiduciary would be appointed and so you're not a third party isn't settling the matter but you're actually administering the matter you're actually going to do the work that neither one of them would let the other one do but you're doing it in their stead right i am a neutral to do whatever the trust or the settlement agreement says correct got it so and then in terms of your personal business are you more involved with trusts or are you more involved with probate administration or where how would how does your business fall out or conservatorships i guess would be other guardianships right now i have mostly conservatorships and special needs trusts mm. i'm willing to do probates i have done probates i have one i'm doing now but conservatorships and special needs trusts yes and so um you know the conservatorships you do are these i i guess it's almost by definition somebody is put in a conservatorship because if they planned ahead they would have some sort of a another alternative like a trust or something and so almost by definition, a conservatorship is somebody who loses capacity and then somebody goes to court to point them uh, into a conservatorship? Yes, one of the benefits of having a trust is that it can help avoid a conservatorship. Yeah. There are different conservatorships that I am very familiar with. One is conservator of the person and the other is conservator of the estate. And these are two autonomous roles, often the... Um, fiduciary will be appointed as both the conservator of the person and of the estate. And there's a lot of misunderstanding in the public side about what a conservator is, uh, most recently because, you know, there's been some celebrities who have had conservatorships and the Facebook warriors all have an opinion on it, but it's not easy to get someone under a conservatorship. In order to have a conservatorship, there's a lot of scrutiny, a lot of investigation, and you're appointed by a judge. So it's it, there's no shenanigans from someone in my position because it's it's not worth it to me. Um, in order to have a, so a conservator of the person means that you're in charge of the individual. You have their living situation. You make sure they get to the doctor. If they need therapeutic shoes, you make sure they get the therapeutic shoes. If they need counseling, you make sure that they get to counseling and so forth. That's one conservator of the person. Conservator of the estate means you're managing their finances. Uh, you're in charge of the house. You're in charge of the money. You're in charge of paying the taxes and all those sorts of things. But it's not, it's not, it's a last resort in the judge's eyes. It's not something they give easily. You know, a lot of people think that. To, to have a conservatorship, there has to be diminished capacity, meaning something is wrong with the con proposed conservatee. They have diminished capacity, and there is somebody taking advantage of that person's diminished capacity. Right. So there was a tragic event like a stroke or, or Alzheimer's or something, and the person cannot no longer make informed decisions, and somebody's taking advantage of that. And then a CAC, which is a court appointed counsel, comes in, appointed by a judge. It is an attorney who is the proposed conservatee's attorney. They look at the whole deal and they report back to the judge. It's not easy to get somebody under conservatorship, but it's the last resort in the court's eyes. And it shouldn't be easy. I think when you think about what you're doing, you're saying you no longer have the capacity to make decisions about your life. We're going to 
appoint somebody else to make those decisions and whether you agree with them or not, they know how the legal capacity of your life, it should be a high bar. I mean, right, by definition. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And it's not easy on the conservatee, usually. It's, it's hard work all around and it's right. not a happy place to be. You know, a right. lot of people think, Oh, Bill lost his keys. He he can't remember anything anymore. I'm taking over his checkbook. That's not the way it goes. Right. It, it's a long, hard process, and it has to be necessary to have this done. Yeah, and I think again. So you see, one case gets publicized, and of course, people publicizing it are more exaggerating it for a purpose rather than really analyzing the situation in detail. And you know, famously, the Britney Spears case. I know when I would go to court every day. Um, before COVID, whenever she had a matter, there'd be demonstrations and it'd be on the news and and all that. But but nobody ever really thought about well, what does it mean for natural capacity? You know, who's taking advantage of her? What proof is there of that? And you know, it, does this really serve her to have her decision making uh, taken out of her hands? And I'm not saying there's right or wrong. I'm just saying these these are not light decisions if it involves somebody a, a real human being. It's easy to to talk about a story, but it's a lot harder when it gets to be, I think, real life. And having seen these, they're expensive, they're tedious, but at the same time, these are very difficult circumstances where somebody has no longer has their own capacity. Some cases I know are more immediately. I know I had a client who, um, it was a young man who was in a car accident. So he went from being perfectly healthy to one day he's in a coma and can't make decisions, medical decisions and, and financial decisions and such. Those are easy. Ones where you talk about dementia or medical capacity, those are prolonged over time. What's the criteria for somebody to be at a point um, that they don't have capacity? How do you I, I imagine at some point, maybe what that's been decided before you, you come on the scene or are you involved in the evaluation? And what's the criteria at which somebody's capacity is diminished enough that they need a conservator? I'm not a doctor. I do not make that decision. A doctor makes a decision and um, makes a report to the judge and says this person can no longer handle their affairs. Um, I've seen several cases where the problem is I've seen it a lot where they say the person presents well, so they're having a hard time and they're 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 not they don't appear to be a sound mind. They say crazy things, but they see the psychiatrist for five minutes and they know this is important. And they, they're able to straighten up. And the psychiatrist says, there's nothing wrong with this guy. But you know, the, the caregiver sees them the other 24 hours of the day, and they're like, this person really needs help. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not an easy process, but um, it's usually a doctor. And then they go before a judge, and the judge declares, you know, this person needs it. There's also a lot of, uh, again, I'm not a lawyer. But there's a lot of estate planning documents that will describe this person will be considered um, stepping down as trustee and incompetent when something happened. Two doctors signed a declaration. One doctor signs a declaration or something. So a lot of estate planning documents will include language that will say when the person needs to step down as trustee and the next trustee becomes comes forward. And I think we're, we're, as real estate agents, we see these things um, and we're kind of helpless to help is, you know, people make decisions. Uh, I had a case where an elderly man um, 
you, know, you could argue the case, you know, his capacity was diminished where it was, um, entered into a very complicated real estate transaction where, uh, you know, he didn't get represented by an agent. He wasn't represented by an attorney. The other party was a very sophisticated buyer represented by an attorney using a very sophisticated contract. And the seller now is facing penalties of $150,000 if he doesn't close. He was, he was clearly taken advantage of, and if I'm, as a professional, I can say that in terms of what he sold it for. And his family is watching their inheritance diminish by what they, what's clearly a bad business decision. But is that because he has diminished capacity to the point of needing a service ship? Or is it just, he's just one of those guys who makes bad business decisions and he's old. I mean, and, and so they actually went to God, get a doctor's appointment, a doctor's uh, evaluation that he uh, was incapacitated. And of course, the man didn't want to be in a conservatorship. So he found some other doctor who said that he wasn't. And of course, it, it, it's just the, the, the meter on the cost of the family. Um, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars on both sides. Uh, doctors and, and, and testimonies and hearings and attorney's fees and such. And I know you see that, right? Because the fees are all approved by the court. So you're constantly being, uh, having judges, I think, uh, update or well, the fees for the attorney, the fees for the attorney for the, the court appointed conservatorship, and then the fees for the conservatorship. These things add up. You must sit and watch this stuff sometimes and be frustrated, but it's a frustrating process. Everything involved with the court is slow and expensive. Yes, I, I completely understand with what you're saying. Um, the other thing, you, something you mentioned about all the steps you went through, another step that, that happens before somebody is put in a conservatorship is they are asked, do you want to have a conservator? And I mean, the default answer, of course, is no. Right. But they ask the conservatee, do you want a conservator? And they, their, their answer has weight, you know, so it's not, it's not as easy as, as people want to think it is. My goal for today, because I'm not necessarily looking to other meeting you and sharing what you do and, and hopefully doing some business for you, is um, we should all be horrified at the prospect of having to have somebody going to conservatorship at the, the money, the time, the energy, the emotional costs, the destruction of relationships. I, I was in one a few years ago, and it was a conservatorship, and then he passed, and then properties had to be handled through probate, but they created a trust while he was a conservatorship, so some things got in the trust, some things were left out, they went back into probate. It was just nonstop, and I think that for a family, you know, uh, Rich, you said it right on, that anything with a court is slow and expensive. And you can say that to, I think, to lay people, and they just don't know what slow and expensive looks like until they're in the midst of it. They're like, oh my gosh, this is slow and expensive. And you can say, yeah, I told you that. And that's why I think for those of us on the call here who are real estate agents, this is why we should get all of our clients to have an estate plan that handles the occasions of when they're uh, incapacitated. Uh, and it should be done by a proper uh, attorney who knows how to do these things properly, given current law, current circumstances. Uh, uh, and that way you can hire Rich to manage the estate uh, as a trust rather than as a conservatorship, because I just don't think there's ever a good outcome when there's a conservatorship. I don't think anybody's ever happy at the end of the process, are they? Have you ever had a case where at the end, all the parties go, that was great, you know, let's do that again sometime. I don't think that ever happens. 
I think a conservatorship is more damage control than a first step. You know, that last resort to prevent um, falling off the cliff. But yeah. that safety net that a lot of folks need because of either poor planning or undue influence from bad players. Yeah. But no, it's not a fun time. But it, it is a necessary step, and it is something that, that I do. You know, I, I definitely do help people as a conservator. Well, I don't, I don't mean to diminish what you do at all. I think the opposite. I, I, I admire what you do. I've seen it in process. And I think if somebody has to help these people out, it's just a shame that they didn't plan ahead to avoid this. This is the best outcome we can at this point is having, in your case, a, a good, qualified, reliable, uh, uh, ethical conservator because uh, mo uh, uh, most people, I can just tell you, having been in court a lot over the last five years, most of the conservators are just obviously focused on getting paid. And it and I and I also think maybe that's a defense mechanism because the process can be frustrating. And so it's it's easy to focus on that just because it's something you can do and get and get done along the way. So how do you see your role? Uh, you know, we all in every business, we all want to be better than average so that we can create more value for our customers and generate business. Obviously, your business is predicated on people referring you. What do you see are things that you do or can do to stand out as a better alternative as a conservative conservator than a as as a professional fiduciary in conservatorships than the average? What what are things that you focus on to try to stand out or be better or to get or to earn that business? I recognize that my job, I get paid to solve people's problems. I I solve people's problems. I have a background. I went to school for dispute resolution, and I to help people get to an agreement at the end when they're not able to. I, I, I don't do mediation myself. I'm not a mediator, but I am definitely a big fan of mediation. I think a good alternative to court and going in front of a judge, because when you go into court and it's this guy against this guy, and the judge makes a decision that's a zero-sum game. You know, one guy wins, one guy loses. But with mediation, everybody can go away feeling like they they won something. So I, I definitely am a fan of um, make everybody, you know, have a solution at the end where everybody's satisfied. And I think in my in my career, I've been able to do that a lot of the time. Not all the time, because... It's just I can't, I can't do it all the time, but a lot of the time I've been able to have a lot of people who at the start were on far ends of the spectrum were able to leave the situation satisfied. Well, and I think whether you're mediating or not officially, you're constantly, I know as a realtor, I'm constantly mediating between parties to get agreement uh, from competing parties to move forward. Maybe it's a the executor and an heir and an heir is threatening to hold the thing up. If I can mediate a resolution, we can move forward. I'm not putting on the mediator hat or getting paid for it, but that's kind of my job is to try to find a way to resolve things. Like you say, so we get paid to solve problems. So Right. They don't notice you're doing it, but you're mediating. <laughs> exactly. That's when you're, I think you're your best, right? When you can figure right. out a way to make them understand the other party and come to some agreement that uh, lets everybody move forward. That's a great way to put it. Well, I guess your profession, your profession trained is a, so it would stand to reason you'd know how to do that and make it look like magic. So part of the position is 
uh, conservatorships. Another part, do you get involved much in guardianships, which are similar, but for those listening, guardianships are when we, uh, somebody who doesn't have capacity because of their age, or they're a minor, they're a child, and uh, the court has to appoint somebody to manage their affairs. Do you do much guardianship work as a fiduciary? That is not something I have done. There's a lot of um, hats a, a, a fiduciary wears, hmm. but not all of them I wear. And that is one that I, I just have not done. I'm okay. just I'm just not a guardian, no. Okay. And then um, you, you've done some probate, and then your primary uh, uh, fiduciary is in trust work. Is that the primary focus? I do special needs trusts. Yes, I have a couple special needs trusts, and I've been able to. I feel I've been able to help people in that area. So, special needs trust. Describe what special needs trusts are. A special needs trust is a trust that was established for the benefit of somebody who cannot manage their own money and cannot have their own money. It is set up to um, preserve public benefits. So, for instance, if the child has a disability, um, a learning disability, a birth defect, they were in an uh, automobile accident, um, they're a drug addict, that sort of thing, the parents have, would uh, set up a special needs trust to hold the assets for the benefit of the special needs trustee. You know, if several of them are, are drug addicts, and if they were to get the whole lump sum all at once, they would die. Um, they can't manage their own money because of some kind of deficiency. So they put in a special needs trust. They, they have a special needs trust, and they have a special trustee to come in to manage the assets. Um, I would make sure that they have the housing and the, the medical expenses and all those things taken care of but they're still eligible for any kind of public benefits they need, be it housing or counseling or that kind of thing. And so I guess you end up being the person that says no, right? They're gonna say, hi, I have this trust. I'm entitled to all this money. I want an extra $10,000. And while theoretically you could write a check for $10,000 if it was to their benefit, I imagine you're the one who has to say, no, This that's not how this is set up. Is that kind of part of the job? Yes, they don't like me because they say no a lot. Wow. Yeah, I, I that's that's my role in that, and that is to protect the special needs trust beneficiary from themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's that's a tough job because a lot of them, you know, especially when it's someone with a with a drug problem, they're they're hustlers, they're slick. You know, and they they got all these stories and fake receipts and calls from the doctor who's not really a doctor. It's like, come on, I've been around the block more than once. I, I, I can see through your game, but I don't necessarily tell them that right away. But yeah, I'm I'm the bad guy in that one because I have to tell them, no, I can't write you a blank check for your whatever your story is. Just a little quick housekeeping. This is Probate Weekly. Uh, we get together every Thursday at 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern time. And then we also uh, live stream it and then it's recorded. Um, so you can sign up if you want to come in on the Zoom call. Love to have you do that at probateweekly.com. Or you can see the old episodes at episodes.probateweekly.com. You can continue the conversation uh, on Facebook. We have a group for Probate Weekly. We have about 3,400 members nationwide. 
So if you're looking for referrals for attorneys or realtors in other states, questions on probate, probate related, uh, love to have you participate there. And then separately, I have an email mastermind class where I help agents understand the basics uh, and the fundamentals of building a marketing system. If you want to find out more information about me, linktr.e slash Bill Gross has all my programs and the email program is on that list as well as well as these programs. Our guest today is Rich Barsumian, who is a California licensed professional fiduciary located in Los Angeles. I met him through a mutual friend who also is a fiduciary. And so our, the idea here is that, and if you're doing probate business, one of the people you come across is going to be a fiduciary standing in place for conservatorships or guardianships or managing matters for trusts or special needs trust. If you're watching on the Zoom call, love to have you raise your hand if you want to ask questions live or put them in the chat box. And if you're watching on social media, YouTube or Facebook, we have a question. I'm going to, I'm going to start knocking out some of these questions right now. Feel free to participate. The reason we do this live is to participate. My goal is to is to educate. I learn myself. The, the, my criteria is, do I enjoy it? And I, I have enjoyed talking to Rich in the past, and I knew it would be fun today. Do I learn to make myself better in my practice? And the answer is already yes, and I have more to learn. But we all learn better by asking questions. And uh, so if you have a question, please feel free to put it in the chat box. We're from the Zoom call. Raise your hand, or uh, and I'll call you in live if you want to chat a little bit. So a couple questions in the Zoom chat. Um, uh, in Los Angeles, now again, a, a reminder, Rich is a fiduciary, he's not an attorney. Many people act as fiduciaries are attorneys. Many attorneys will act as a fiduciary occasionally, but Rich's business is as a fiduciary and he's not a licensed attorney. So he's not giving us legal judgment, but he can talk about your business. Uh, so in Los Angeles, if a successor trustee is selling a property, I imagine if you were the fiduciary for a trust and a, uh, as a successor trustee, is a real estate commission limited to 5% as is a probate sale? Now, I'll point out, Christopher, that in LA County, the um, when a sale goes to court confirmation in probate uh, court, is limited to 5% for residential property, 10% for land. On probates that do not require court confirmation, there is no such limit. It's interesting. It's, you think it's the other way around. You can charge 6% for a standard probate or 7%. But only 5% if court confirmation is needed. So a question, Rich, is uh, as a fiduciary, are there statutory limits on the commissions when you're acting as a fiduciary for a trust? And then the other question would be, obviously, give us your sense of commissions. Like what you, you must do business with real estate agents, see listing agreements, see commission requests. What's reasonable? What do you see? What trends do you see, if any? It depends on the kind of job that I'm doing. If it is a intestate probate or a will, there is a statutory fee in the California probate code that says what I and an attorney are to be paid. It's a percentage of the value of the estate. Um, all fiduciaries, I believe as of January of this past year, have to post their fee schedule on their website. So you can go to my website or any other website and there'll be something there that says, here are my fees. And they openly say, here are my fees. Um, there's a lot of transparency and um, responsibility in my job. So they they expect us to be open about how much we charge. So whether it's a, a intestate probate or a trust, 
it's easy to see what we're paid. Um, I've never had a problem with a, a realtor because the realtors I make sure are familiar, the realtors I use, I make sure are familiar with probate and trust work, and they already know all the rules. I, I, I make sure the people in my network, I don't need to educate them. I, I make sure I'm surrounded by professionals who know what the rules are. So I, I've not run into problems with, with realtors, with the folks I use. Got it. Another question, um, as a fiduciary, would you accept an engagement for an estate where the real estate is underwater if the beneficiaries agree to make sure you get your fee? Now, of course, the question is, well, how are you going to get the fee if the real estate's underwater? Will there be any money left to pay the fee? And you also have attorney's fees, I imagine, and filing fees and other expenses. So would you consider a um, real estate, a, 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 a taking on a role as a fiduciary? where there's an estate, where there's property that's upside down, um, just in order to clear the property out. There's a, there's a lot more ifs and ands to get an yeah. answer in that. If it's a yeah. Yeah. conservatorship, um, I don't know. It depends on if the judge would appoint you or not. I don't know if it's a intestate trust. Um, the thing is with a trust when it's statutory fees the my fees are based on the value of the property not taking into consideration the debts on the property so if you have a million dollar home with nine hundred thousand dollars of mortgage on it the fees are based on a million dollars that's why you have your stuff in a trust right um, but to answer your question there's there's a lot more ifs and ands yeah get an accurate answer i don't know but i i think really what he's and i know the person has this question and his business is doing a lot of short sales and i think oftentimes we find these these deals and there's real estate there and the choice is do you let it go to foreclosure and the problem in our market today is the foreclosure process is broken it, 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 we, i can talk in an hour as to all the reasons why and so here you have a piece of property that somebody has control over and they might say well i'm be bothered with the time of selling it but you know the neighbors will benefit uh, but I do think the criteria at some point there has to be a benefit to the trust, otherwise you really can't justify doing it. So um, another question, what type of probate matters would you not accept appointment for? Repeat the question, please. What type of probate matters would you not accept an appointment for? What type of probate matters would I not accept an appointment for? Um, just as a personal preference, I was asked about would I do um, work on an estate and the person was in prison who I would be working for, and he was in prison for something that I found particularly offensive, and I said, I just don't want to do it. It's just not the right job for me. Um, but you know, I, I, there's a lot of things in my career that I overlook people's deficiencies or the differences between them and I, and I make sure we can work things out and settle everything nicely. But there's some things I can't overlook. And that was one thing I just, I just did not want to work with them. Yes. Yeah, the personal thing. I, I, yeah, I think we all have, have to have certain limits and certain boundaries and if people cross them, 
uh, be willing to sometimes politely just decline to do the business. Um, so Roger, you're asking a question, conservator, a court appointed participant in the execution of the estate distribution, no PR, no trustee. I think what you're asking is what is a conservator and really what a conservatorship, I thought we described it in the beginning, is a, um, is a legal process for somebody who doesn't have capacity. And so since they don't have capacity, who's making decisions for them? And a rich as a professional fiduciary might be appointed by the court or by, by a, a judge or somebody to act on behalf of the conservatee, the person who the conservatorship is created for. That's what we talked about when we started. And there's another duty for an attorney. Many times conservatorships are managed by attorneys or and they're fiduciaries by definition in a sense. And um, but Rich is a professional fiduciary who's not an attorney, and that's his focus as being a fiduciary rather than being an attorney as well. Um, attorneys I know do not want to be conservators or do the um, estate administration unless it's a huge estate. They'd rather they'd rather throw it down to someone like me and, and because they'd rather do their attorney work for their attorney's fees right. than doing trustee work for trustees' fees. Right. Or another way of saying it, I think we all, you know, we all kind of do well and we have a specialty and focus on that. We both are better at it and um, do it more consistently, more efficiently. Um, Chris asked, do you know if the San Diego limits real estate commissions for full flurry properties or only quarter ported sales like Los Angeles? I don't know of any limitation on commissions other than LA County's commissions. I, I, Rich, do you work in other counties as well? And do you know anything about limitations on? Again, he mentioned before that he doesn't really get into the commissions for the real estate agents. Um, so I, I don't know how to actually, uh, Matthew, other than I don't, I don't believe any other, I'm not aware of any other jurisdiction that limits real estate commissions other than LA County for court uh, appointed sales. I'm not aware of any. Um, okay, let me jump back up. YouTube question. Thank you so much for jumping in, Audra. For information, thank you. Oh, okay. Well, she said thank you. Rich, thank you from uh, Audra on YouTube. And I do see a hand up, um, Carolyn. Let's get you in here, Carolyn. What's going on? Hi. Um, I have a quick question. Um, I have done a lot of bankruptcy work, um, so court overbid bankruptcy work. And by the way, there is no limitation in LA County on uh, court overbids for bankruptcy probate, and also had the opportunity to do a special needs um, trust and. Uh, I'm curious, that particular uh, fiduciary that I was working with actually retired afterwards, but I was, I, I really liked the process and I was hired by the agent or by the uh, family of the special needs um, individual, which happened to be a child at the time. So we were doing real estate deals and getting approvals, et cetera. And I really liked the process. What would be the way, uh, what would be a good idea in terms of getting in front of fiduciaries in terms of uh, promoting yourself in that business in the special needs group? That's a great question, Rich. What what's for real estate agents who want to learn this business, go deeper in it, feel they have skills to bring to it? What do you, what are ways? I know you're a member of PFAC here in LA, which has a great meeting in Long Beach. Uh, so I know that's one. I don't know if there. Uh, currently, I see you're in Ventura. I don't know if there's uh, PFAC in uh, your area as well. Uh, but Rich, what would you say? What are ways that somebody could build their business working with fiduciaries as a real estate agent? I would definitely say. Um be involved with PFAC. It's the Professional Fiduciaries Association of California. And they are a tremendous resource for everything you need to know about being a fiduciary. 
that is where we go as professional fiduciaries for our continuing education credits, for our networking, for our, you know, if, if you have a question like, hey, you know, um, everybody died and there's a horse left. How do I, what do I do with a horse? This lady had a horse. Unless you have the experience, that's not an easy question to solve. So when you ask the people at PFAC, there's a brain trust there. And we also have associates, which would be the realtors, the attorneys, the financial advisors, and that sort of thing, who are associates that is a great network. And, and we want to know you. You know, the fiduciaries want to know, like, who, who are the A-plus players that are one degree away from us because we need you. So I would say get involved with PFAC. You know, go to the website, find a meeting. There, there's meetings up by you, uh, north of me, near you. There you go, that website. Great, and thank you. That would be a good resource for you to look into. Excellent. Okay. PFAC for Professional Fiduciary Association California hyphen pro.org. Great. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for jumping in and asking questions. And if you go, if you find meetings up there that are helpful, come back, circle back and let us know. And we have people that's called across the country. So the idea, this is a California organization. Uh, and in other states, there's other organizations that are similar where uh, fiduciaries hang out and uh, participate and get educated and such. I think, Rich, I think it's true that um, California is the only state that has a license for fiduciaries. I don't know that they're the only state, but I know I've looked into Nevada and they don't have licensing. Yeah. I don't know that California is the only state, but I know California is a state that requires it. And there are some pretty stringent requirements and they keep a good eye on us. Yeah, definitely. Um, we have another question uh, in the chat box. You know, I, I knew there's a topic that we would get our regulars here who have some very detailed questions. So we're not playing stump rich or stump the fiduciary. We're really, but, but if you're able to answer <laughs> these, what do you got? <laughs> can conservatorships cross multiple state lines or required to open one in each state? Um, uh, or conservatorships in one state then open up multiple probate filings in those states? I'm not an attorney, but I can tell you from my experience, I had a conservatee that wanted to go back and visit a different state. And my attorney said, if you take her, if she gets out of the state of California, uh, your California like your California conservatorship is not the same. So I'm not an attorney, but I discouraged my conservative from leaving the state for that reason. This has a reason that the court that you're going to is a state court located in the county and the laws regulating our state laws. And so it, it stands to reason that it's a function that's created like a corporation in one state. There'd be issues in multiple. I do know real estate wise, you'd have to have a probate uh, in California. Even if you have a conservatorship in another state, we're gonna acquire a related pr probate here in California because the court's gonna have to review the documents and make the approval. I do know that's part of the process. And get their money. Everybody, everybody gets their handout. Everybody gets paid on this deal. <laughs> yeah. um, Roger asks, is there certification required for non-attuner fiduciary? So the Professional Fiduciary Association of California has uh, the information regarding licensing, that's one avenue to go through to get licensed. 
um, attorneys have certain functions they can do enact as fiduciaries. Technically, we as realtors are fiduciaries as it relates to the real estate transaction, not in the same capacity. Um, and I think, Raj, I mean, uh, Rich, I believe the law is that you can do one, you can be a professional fiduciary for one estate per year or something without a license. Do you know the details on that? I believe it's two non-family members. It might be one, but two non-family members mean you need to get licensed. And there's several steps you have to go through. Uh, there's minimum education requirements. I think it's a bachelor's degree. Then there's um, an education curriculum you have to go through specifically for through your fiduciary license where they explain the laws and what's expected and the consequences if you try any shenanigans or stealing the money. And then there's several steps of testing process. And then you get a license and then you have to do continuing education to keep your license up. So it's, um, you have to be ready to do it, to, to, to do it. It's not, it's not something I decide I'll do now and be ready to go on Monday. You have to put some footwork into it. What assistance or services do you need as a fiduciary that would add value to your practice? What are things that real estate agents or real estate professionals can do to assist you in being more effective in your, in your job? What can real estate assist, what can, I'm sorry, repeat the question. What can real estate agents do to help me in my job? Mm -hmm. what, are, what are different services or, or things we can do to add value to you, to help you in doing your job? I have a wide range of people that I have in my network that I use and hire within my job. Um, basically what happens is, is, you know, when I am the trustee, I'm taking over somebody's estate and I'm like the CEO and I'm running a company. I have a CPA, I have a tax guy, I have a real estate guy, I have an attorney, and all those people need to function and do their tasks. Um, and then I have different levels of those different kind of people. If it's a real easy trust, I have you know, one CPA that does the easy stuff. And it's a, it's a complex one with a lot of moving parts. I have the other CPA who is a lot more expensive, but a lot more skilled and can handle those things. So it depends on the job, but I definitely have a wide range of people that all contribute to me doing my job. And I think it's the same for those of us who are real estate agents in this space regularly. Maybe our, our services are different and there's some overlap. Right, my more real estate related locksmiths and clean out people and staging people and storage people and such. But we probably have some similar people. I imagine maybe a state sales people and movers or storage. I mean, there's some overlap, and then there's some some different pieces that we offer. So always, I think it's a case by case basis. And if we're working as a team, you want to find out where you can help and, and contribute as much as possible to the team. So let's talk a little bit about your business. Let's, you know, put on the the small business owner hat or operator hat, what activities do you do to generate business? Or is this point just, do you have enough following that business comes to you or do you do business development? Or when you did do business development, what were the things you did that were effective in you building your fiduciary practice? What I did was before I was licensed, I went on the PFAC website and I called, I, you can search, like find a fiduciary 
put in the zip code and say, show me everyone within 30 miles. And they'll list everybody there. I said, show me everybody within five miles of where I live. And a bunch of names come up. I called all those people. I said, hey, I'm going to get into this business. Will you talk to me? And most of them said yes. So I met people at Starbucks, fiduciaries at Starbucks. One of the first guys I met, I met him at the farmer's market. He's a big shot in the field. And uh, he met me at the farmer's market, said, meet me at Starbucks. First thing he said to me, he said, there's so much work. I'll tell you anything you want to know about this business, because you're not going to take work off my plate. There is more work than there is people to do it. And if you're qualified and can do it, you're going to be able to do it. And he's been a great mentor for me for since I've started. Um, and in turn, I've done that for new people. You know, if I meet someone who is a new fiduciary, I give them my card. I say, if you want it, if you want any help of getting on your feet or learning how to do anything, or if anything I have done, if my experience could help you, call me. I want to talk to you about it. I've also been very involved in PFAC the whole time I've been in this field. I've benefited from learning there as well as contributing there. I network a lot. I, I meet good guys like Bill and attorney. I meet a lot of attorneys. Um, I meet realtors. I meet CPAs. I do a lot of networking, but most of my, my business has been word of mouth. And it just seems to have worked out, you know, um, mostly because I'm trying to help other people. I try to help new people getting into the field and somehow it just seems to work. Some of the same fundamentals of any business, right? You can have anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. I think that was... Zig it sounds Zig weird, but it's my experience. It seems like that's how it's worked. Mine too. You know, I remember when I started this podcast years ago, uh, over three years ago, and people say, well, how do you plan to make money on it? I said, I don't even know, but I'm enjoying it. I'm <laughs> learning a lot. It's making me better as an agent. The people I'm talking to, I'm learning. I, it seems like I'm creating friends who are listening in with me. So I don't know, somehow I'll figure it out and it, it all worked out. Um, Roger asked PFAC, yes, it's Professional Fiduciary Association of California. PFAC slash PRO.org is the website. I'll put that again in the in the chat box for those who want to go check that out. But definitely if you're interested in working with um, professional fiduciaries, that is the, in California, that's the, the place that you want to start. Um, you said something that I've heard a lot whenever I've talked to fiduciaries. Uh, I've always heard the same thing, that they all have so much business that they don't know what to do with what they have. They're not looking for more. What is it about your industry? That's not true of attorneys. It's not true of accountants. It's not true of realtors. We have to work every day to find business. What do you think is going on specifically in the fiduciary world that that's the case? I don't think it's that I'm not looking for any more work. It's just there's an abundance. I think that uh, one of the reasons is that I don't know, but it could be that the older generation is fading out and they have the resources that need to be managed and distributed to their beneficiaries. Um, yeah, it makes sense that the population of people who need fiduciaries is growing faster than the population of fiduciaries. Correct. Correct. I, I mean, it just seems, and I think also California is regulated, which means that only, you know, that limits the supply of fiduciaries and the number of people who need them are growing as we get older as a, as a population. And, 
Um, again, this this is why I think for everybody in the phone call, either learn to work with fiduciaries to get business, or make everybody you know get an estate plan so they don't need fiduciaries. Now they'll need a fiduciary to manage the state, the trust, but they won't need them for conservatorships, which is just such an intensive process. And at least will free up some of these people from having to do that work, and they could do the the trust work, which probably is more desirable work. So I guess go ahead. I'm sorry. Put your stuff in a trust. I, I tell all my friends that, but I guess people just don't want to look at like I'm about to die kind of thing, you know. But the bottom line is the responsible thing to do for your children is to put your assets in a trust. I I, I had my trust written for me when I was 35 years old, you know. But it's the responsible thing to do, and it, it's to protect your assets, make sure they go to where you want them to go in the terms you want them to go. Uh, it's kind of funny, you know, I, I was just telling you, I, I network with attorneys and I meet estate planning attorneys. And if if there's a connection and we're, we're, we're good, you know, I'll often ask them, let me ask you a personal question. Do you have an estate plan? And, um, you know, sometimes like, well, no, the divorce and I need to update it. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> you know. That's I, me. I, I do this podcast every week. I talk to estate planning attorneys. I talk about the importance of it. And mine was written a while ago, and I recently realized I had a whole bank account with with assets that weren't entitled to the trust. Like, well, how did I let that happen? What am I doing? I'd go out and get the book out and get the documents and get the thing moved over. So, yeah, sometimes the cobbler, what, the cobbler's kids have no shoes or something like that? Yeah, yeah, there's a saying about that. So kind of last, I really appreciate your time here. Last question would be, because um, most people on the call are real estate agents, what how how would you recommend a real estate agent is looking to do more business, looking for people who need to sell property? Some are fiduciaries, uh, referrals, some are from families and conservatorship or guardianships or probate or whatever. How would you recommend them, somebody want to build their business in this space? What would you recommend them to do in order to be more productive and, and be more successful? There are realtors who have the niche of probate. And that is their specialty, and that's what they do. They are, and if you go to all of the probate kind of events, you know, the, the bar association meetings, the, the elder association meetings, the PFAC meetings, they're there. They're sponsoring uh, bar association lunches. They, you know, at the we just had the um, a big event at USC where it was the lawyers continue education credit those people were there you know with their table and they're they're handing out their they're doing their networking there's a lot of networking going on and if you're even slightly involved in the probate real estate world you see them everywhere yeah so it's it's a lot of networking but the people who are good at it are amazingly good at it it's the same people. I mean, you, you, those are the same yeah. people sponsor all those events. I ran to one. I was at the LA bar event this week and uh, one of the same people sponsors all those events and she was there in the elevator with me. It was, it was nice to catch up, but it's the same people who work that space, I think all the time. So I think what you hear you saying is commit yourself to it, get involved, meet people, go to those events. And you're going to, I think both learn by being around osmosis as well as get in front of people and do networking. Fantastic. Well, Rich, I really appreciate your time. Just, you know, just again to to circle back here. Um, Rich is a prof licensed professional fiduciary here in California, based in Los Angeles. His website is barsumian.com. I put the link in the chat box, and he has 
uh, information there. So if you have to refer somebody who needs a fiduciary or thinks they do, obviously he's a great candidate to do that. Feel free to participate, uh, to uh, to reach out to him there and, and participate some more. And then we put in the, we talked quite a bit about uh, the Professional Fiduciary Association of California, PFAC, that's PFAC slash PRO for professional.org. I put that in the chat box as well. So if you want more information, take that down and you get there. Rich, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate your Thank time. you for having me, Bill. It's good to see it. I'm glad to be uh, to talk with you again. Fantastic. Thanks again. And for the rest of you, again, just to finish up, this is probateweekly.com. We do this every Thursday at 4 p.m. Um, uh, Pacific time. We do it at, which is 7 p.m. Eastern time. Probateweekly.com. You can register if you want to come into the Zoom and ask questions live. You can see the old episodes at episodes.probateweekly.com. And then we have a Facebook group where we post as well the invite and the episodes, but you can participate, ask questions, continue the conversation, post your own probate content. One way to build your business is provide content that people want to see. If you have a YouTube or video, uh, Courtney's one who does that regularly. We've helped him build his YouTube channel. No charge. Glad to have you guys participate there as free. Um, Senior Living Orange County says Cal State Florida has a fiduciary program. You know, many universities do. I know that in uh, Orlando in January is a huge event on the East Coast. University of Miami has an event there that East Coast people tend to go to. So it's a good point, but reach out to your local university and find out what training they have for fiduciaries. And oftentimes they'll have programs for licensing, for continuing education, great way to meet people and to network with them. And then again, I have a masterclass on email in January. If you want to find out about more about what I do, my link tree, L-A-N-K, link L-A-N-K-T-R, dot e slash bill gross has all my personal information as well as the e a link to the email masterclass love to have you join us there so again we do this every thursday 4 p.m we also live stream it to youtube facebook and linkedin i'm at bill gross um probate on social media thank you everybody and uh, have a great week and we will talk soon bye-bye